DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you? Good. David, you know... I owe owe you a phone call. I'm sorry. David, you know you are brought to us by the Murdoch Auto Team. I do. The Murdoch Auto Group. Blake, Tyson, Ben, the crew. 90 years in Utah, you know. The Murdoch Auto Team bringing you to David Locke this morning. And, David, we have to talk about uh, something other than jazz to start this off. Uh, People familiar with your podcast uh, group, the uh, Locked On Sports. So are you still running the show there? I know you're cutting cutting mega deals now. Are you still going to have your hands in this thing? I think I'll keep my hands in it. I'll oversee. Um, We've got a staff of people, and now we're part of a massive company that – can probably do most of the things I was doing better than I was. Um, I'm certain of a lot of that, so I'll stay. I'll, I'll stay pretty heavily engaged, but I um, I've got a support crew that's um, capable of doing an awful lot of stuff better than I was. That's great, man. I'm happy for you. Thank you, PK. <laughs> I'm happier about the jazz. I was going to say, there's a note of, actually, I don't really give a crap, but I have to say this, so I will. So I appreciate that part of you. (laughs) We bring you on to talk about the Jazz. Uh, And here, this ball club, it's just a question of what can continue. And when you look at stuff, what do you see that you basically know, you know, maybe not every single game, but most games, 8 out of 10, going forward that you believe that are not guarantees, but you can pretty well count on them doing X, Y, Z. What is that? So, I mean, the first one to me is Rudy. Like, I know he's not thought of in the league as a top five superstar, and I'm not trying to rank top five or top ten players, but... When you look at game impact, he certainly is. There's just there are not many players that impact the game uh, on both ends of the floor. We might have I didn't ever looked it up, but we might have run ninety pick and rolls the other night against Dallas. Like it was crazy. Um, and so you can you know his and he had twenty nine the other night because Dallas to me was the first team that said okay we're not letting you shoot threes and then if you don't then fine okay don't let us shoot threes we'll just throw it to Rudy at the rim all night. Um, and then on the defensive end, it's just remarkable what he does on a night. It's just truly incredible on a nightly basis. I mean, Luca must have curled out seven, eight times the other night. Um, and so, you know, I think he's so great that we have a we have an a superstar in regards to impact. And so, you know, you have that every night, and that that you know that changes everything for us. So the Jazz is shooting the ball very well, but because they shot 38% last year and led the league, and because they've been running second to the Clippers this year, uh, the Clippers are shooting really, really well from three right now, and and they're leading the league at 41.8%. But the Jazz are next at 39.7. So the Jazz have improved a little more than a point and a half, and they're still second in the league. I'm thinking... There is no – in any game, you can shoot the ball poorly. You might even shoot it poorly for a week. But when we look at this end of the year, there's no way they're going to be 12th in three-point shooting. They're going to be one of the elite teams in the league. Is Do you have any worry about their shooting going forward? No, and this is what I think makes the most interesting. So 
Um, and in, and by the way, that number's a little higher in non-blowout time. So I think it's about 40% if you take out the – and they've been just – you know, we were up 20 on the Clippers and 25 on the Bucks, right? Like, and we've just been blowing everyone out recently. I mean, and against the Clippers and Bucks, which are – you know, there's five teams in the NBA to me right now, maybe – maybe six if you're buying Philadelphia, but I'm not, um, that are better than everyone else. The the Bucks in the East and then Denver, Utah, Clippers, and Lakers. And so the Jazz have been up 25 on Milwaukee and led for 44 or 48 minutes, and we're up 20 on the Clippers and led for 44 or 48 minutes. Um, but the back to your comment about the shooting, what's most interesting to me on that, DJ, is they're taking 40% of their shots as threes. Um, I think that number could come down a little bit because their rate of off-the-bounce threes is, is up, but so is their rate of catch-and-shoot. And this is the one of the great catch-and-shoot teams the league's ever seen. So here's what gets interesting. If they do continue to take 40% of their shots as threes, which is the goal, there's only been five teams in the history of the NBA that have done that. And none of them have shot better than 37% as a team. Of those five that have done it, they ranked first, first, second, second, and seventh in offense. And only one of them had a top 10 defense. That was the Houston Rockets when they won 65 games. Yeah, that's a lot of games. Uh, With all that in mind... It's really a lot in a 72-game schedule. (laughs) Oh, but in (laughs) 17-game schedules off the charts, yeah. I don't know that we'll see that, but nevertheless... Uh, that would be incredible if we did. Uh, a lot of Jazz fans, you know, they, they've been through the ringer with this team for many, many years. Tell them why they shouldn't get their hopes up or why they should. Well, can we can we back up to, like, the concept? I do agree with you that most Jazz fans feel what you just said, that they've been through the ringer. So, what, we've won more games than any other franchise but the Spurs in the last 20 years? Is that right? Maybe the Lakers? I don't think so. I think we've got the second most wins, like, in the last 20 years. So, like, but, that's going through the ringer. still true. Um, yeah, but it's about it's getting to the playoffs and not winning the championship. It's, it's not about the number of regular season wins. Um, yeah, we could have this discussion another time. I mean, if that's your one standard, you're not going to be a very happy sports fan forever. I personally am kind of in for the seven-month run of, like, excitement and enjoyment and night-to-night and and our, and our run has been about as good as you can get in the league. Um, if you take it back 30 years, I bet you we've, maybe only the Spurs have won more games. So, um, I mean, the only thing I would say is I'm a cynic and I go look for everything that's wrong. And I certainly didn't think we were very good early in the year. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that like, oh, I saw this coming. Like, I, did, I just thought the whole thing looked off for the first, you know, eight games of the season in just a really kind of not playing hard and just didn't look right. Like it just, I was really concerned. So I don't want to act like, Oh, I see this, but I, I would say that like point differential is the number one indicator in the NBA of what's about to happen next. So that, you know, there's statistics that tell you what has happened and there's statistics that will tell you what's coming. And point differential is the one that generally tells you what's coming. And if you look, and I don't know if you can pull it up at NBA.com slash stats or clean the glass DJ, but if you look, um, I think in this order, it's Utah Clippers, or excuse me, Utah Lakers. I don't know after last night. Utah Lakers, Bucks, Clippers, Nuggets, Celtics. I can't remember who seven is. But if you look at those seven, 
The other six make complete sense, right? If I were to ask you who the best teams in the NBA are, that's your answer. So the fact that every other team there makes sense and the one that doesn't look like it's in the right spot is Utah at one leads me to believe that we're just just the the national perspective or my own perspective on Utah is wrong. Not that the stat is wrong, if that makes sense, right? When you when you run it's like the way I have an offensive metric which I haven't run that I'll run today. I do it on Fridays. And Rudy usually he won't be this year, but usually Rudy's been in the top five of most impactful offensive players. Well when the other five are LeBron, Anthony Davis, Giannis Adetokounmpo, and James Harden, and then Rudy's fifth, then it's not that the list is wrong that Rudy's there. It's that we're wrong in how we evaluate Rudy. It's the same way I felt about Kyle Korver. I used to, when Kyle Korver was in Atlanta, and they were winning 60, you know, they won 60 games that year, and nobody could figure out why. It was because of Kyle Korver. And... Again, you ran the list then, and the top 10 offensive players all made sense except for Kyle Korver. Well, that's just because we don't understand Kyle Korver, not because the list doesn't make sense. Got a uh, question here from a, uh, a listener. Uh, Zach well, says... What does Jake Hatch want to know? <laughs> Zach. Many things. Zach says, do you guys think the Jazz have an edge over the rest of the league by having fans at the home games? Do you think it's contributed to this 10-game win streak? I'm not in the arena watching on TV. I would say it has maybe a little impact, but pretty minimal. There's so few people. But you're in the arena for home games. What do you think? It has to have some impact. I think the biggest storyline of the season is the no fans. The blowouts, the home teams losing has had the, has had a tremendous impact on the season. I, I haven't checked the latest numbers, but I believe road teams, last time I checked, had won more games than home teams. I mean, that's a pretty huge, it's usually 59%, I think. It's a pretty dramatic change. And, you know, early in the year, everybody was wondering about the blowouts. Is it because of lack of training camp? Is it because of COVID roster <clears throat> issues? And, and my take on that was it was because of lack of fans. And if you look, it was the home teams getting blown out. It, it might be small, it might be subtle, but the standing ovation they got at the end of the second quarter the other night when they were just so brilliant against Dallas and the crowd came to their feet, it, they can hear it. 1,500 people, like, and more and more, it feels like, but I don't know what our number is that we have in the arena right now. Um, it, it ma- like I think it matters. Um, you know, there's two things that I think will be interesting to to keep an eye on here. Um, if you actually do the analytics on home court advantage, it it does not exist except for in Denver and Utah. Um, teams that win a lot of home games are usually just good, and that's that's why they win home games. It's not because the home because of home court advantage, because they're good. The Celtics win a lot at the Garden when they had Larry Bird and Kevin McHale, because they were good. The two teams that outperformed their natural performance over the extended period of time are Utah and Denver, which is altitude. So if there's truly no home court advantage, because the home and road teams are winning the same, and Utah and Denver are winning more at home, um, then that's consistent to what it's been for the years, but feels like a little bit of a bigger deal than ever before. And it's probably worth watching you know, what the five or six arenas that have crowds are doing compared to those that don't. I I do think it's having an impact. Is anybody on this team playing way above their capability? Maybe Jordan Clarkson in some of the shooting numbers, I think, but we'll see. I mean, I had a conversation with Jordan the other day on Zoom about how Quinn just has given these guys just such an kind of unbending green light of freedom 
and how does it impact him? And you know, his he said, just you know, you shoot better. You, you're free. You're not you're not worrying about whether or not you can take that shot or whether you should take that shot. I mean, Quinn is clearly established with these guys that if they don't take forty percent of their shots as threes, he's going to be far more upset than if they go five for forty. But at the same time, having they coached him up on these are the shots that you shoot the best, these are the shots you need to stay away from, not so much from the uh, you know the drill sergeant, I will penalize you and bench you mode, but just like, hey, you're already good, this is going to make you better. Because it seems to me like Clarkson, his natural default when he got here was to put the ball on the floor, which you get, he's pretty good at that, and of course he's had success with it over time, so he trusts it, but he shoots more catch-and-shoot threes now without even thinking it. Like somebody throws him a pass and he just turns and lets it go. You know, and so it does feel like he's been coached up and he's been willing, you know, he's made himself coachable too. And so he's, I think he's, he's passing the ball better than he did when he first got here, which makes sense because he's more comfortable, knows the offense and trusts guys. So I think there's been a coaching up on catch and shoot. Um, I think Quinn's basically tried to explain, got these guys to understand that that shooting window can be pretty small and you can still let it rip. Um, You know, we have the, Last year, we had the best catch-and-shoot team in the league, and we were like 21st or 22nd in attempts. So um, if you can get yourself up to 13th, 14th in attempts, and you, even if your percentage drops a little bit, it's a good, good call. Um, and, then, and that's not a small sample size. That's last year. But also, if you go back over the last four years on standstill catch-and-shoots, Donovan's number two in the NBA behind Joe Harris. Boyan's like 20th in the league. Conley's like I think 13th in the league. Joe, George, and Jordan are all about the exact same at about 30th in the NBA. So you've got your five sh- five shooters. I'm forgetting somebody in this group. Uh, Royce is right up in there as well. You know, you got your six shooters, um, six or seven shooters on this roster are all elite, elite level. Um, for those that are stats geeks, effective field goal percentage is over 62% for all of them on catch and shoot standstill threes. So. You know, yeah, certainly you're trying. You've kind of been. They've been told on that one. The one where I do see the freedom is, um, is the either walk up three in transition or the off the bounce three on the pick and roll, um, which actually are not generally very high percentage shots. They're kind of shots that you know the Milwaukee Bucks have made a living kind of letting people take, and our guys are playing with some freedom on that um, and shooting it well. I, I think in regards to sustainability as a unit. Um, our defensive effective field goal percentage and our offensive effective field goal percentage are a little too far off the natural norm for the end of the season, a little bit particularly on the defensive end. If you go back through the history, teams are not usually more than two percentage points off the norm, so the standard deviation. And I think we're about three and a half right now. So that'll come down. Like our defensive effective field goal percentage, our offense is a little high too, but we might just be an elite shooting team, which if you go back, like the Warriors were five percentage points better than league average, and I think we're three and a half right now. So that may or may not move, but otherwise there's nothing that we're doing that seems abnormal. Okay, so if that defensive thing comes back to norm, does that translate into fewer wins, though? So it means our I think our differential right now is like 12, and so it brings us down to like eight or nine. Okay. Right? Like, so then we're on pace to win a nine point differential. Sorry, I can't do this quite off the top of my head, but I think is about um, traditionally, sorry, I'm just trying to do math and it hurts. I think that's about a 57, 58 win team. 
Um, in instead, full, we're in pacing a, right now at like 64. 65. In a full season, right? When you say in a full season, right? in a full season yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, so we're borderline 60-win team if the numbers come down, and right now we're pacing at like 65, 66, which is a little absurd. So short-term questions, do you have any idea how long Donovan Mitchell will be in concussion protocol or how bad Derek Favors' uh, um, back stuff is, uh, how long they might be out? Any any clue on that? Mm, only, I, I, um, I'm pretty tentative to talk about injuries. I think we'll see them both pretty soon. I do think the Favors sitting out due to back soreness will be the beginning. We're at that stage of the season. And I think we're going to start seeing universally across the league. But I think with the Jazz as an older team with some Knicks, like I would suspect that we start to see Mike miss some games. I would suspect that Joe might still miss some games. I would, you know, uh, Boyan will beat you up before he lets you miss a game. But I think there'll be a little, Derek will probably miss some more. I, I think we're going to, the depth is going to, Juwan Morgan, Mia Oni um, are going to get tested here. Um, and have to and have to contribute. Um, I think we're just going to begin to see they're playing 20 games in a month. It's crazy. Like you just can't really play everyone every game anymore. Like you've got to slow this down at some point. And I know we're hot, and you're reluctant not to, but just logical deduction that at this point of the season we're going to start seeing this universally across the league, where players who are nicked. If you're at all nicked up and you don't take the day off, you're going to play in three games in five nights, and then you're going to be in a bad place. So you're going to have to take a few nights off. Well, there were only four games in the NBA last night, and we saw a lot of star power on the bench for one reason or another. So if the Jazz have guys missing games, well, Kawhi and Paul George and Patrick Beverly and Drogic and uh, Devin Booker and Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler. I mean, <laughs> there weren't even that many games, and look at all the big names that were out. Right. So it's yeah, just I mean, the just Jazz will be dealing at... with what everybody else is dealing with. And this might be a year where our depth and continuity is more important than ever before. Um, well, the continuity seems to be an attention. Quinn talks about the continuity as a defensive aspect, not an offensive aspect. Um, but I, I do think that we'll, you know, I just think that that's – and. You know, you made a great point last week, DJ, that I think really resonated, that the one seed actually has some importance because you don't want the Lakers or Clippers. Denver's not that far off, though. Um, so, I mean, you're, there's going to be a really significant separation in the Western Conference in the top four from the rest of the West. I think that, you know, Phoenix is okay, but they're not they're not a top four team that people thought they were going to be. San Antonio, Portland, Golden State are okay, but they're not. There's just a big, big separation between the top four teams in the West. So, yes, I do think you would prefer to not see the Lakers and Clippers, but you'd way prefer to be healthy. And I think, you know, we're going to, we're pretty, we're 25% of the way through the season. We're going to begin to see that. David, as always, we appreciate it. And we will uh, hear you on the broadcast tonight. Thank you, guys. And PK, your yeah. sincerity is awesome. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Thanks. I know you are, actually. Once you can fake sincerity, you've got it made. That's right. Thank you, David. See you guys. You want to know. <laughs> when we come back, Dale Murphy, Atlanta Braves legend, stay with us.